look at Peter, just I want you to be thinking about it. And uh, if you can, in some way, testify to the ministry of the Spirit in your life. How has the Spirit uh, been working in your life, whether that's recently or sometime uh, a few years ago, um, whatever it might be, uh, I would be really encouraged to hear that uh, from some of you and uh, if we have anybody that would like to share it. As we know, as we remember what the Spirit does, convicts us of sin, reminds us of truth, encourages us to fix our eyes on Jesus. And so, anyway, be thinking about that. So we're going to sing a few songs. Um, and so if you would, uh, grab your hymn book and get ready. I'm going to open us up with a word of prayer, and uh, we'll get going. God, we thank you so much for uh, the opportunity to come together as believers to remember um, your truth. God, to remember Jesus and what he has done for us. Lord, we are, as we talked about this morning, we're prone to wonder. And Lord, we need to be confronted with the truth over and over again uh, to remember what you have done and how that changed our lives. And so, Lord, I pray tonight that we would um, reflect on that, and Lord, that you would stir in our hearts uh, a love for you and a love for others uh, because of what you have done in us. And it's your name we pray. Amen. All right. If you want to turn to number 217, and if you're able and want to stand and sing with us, Oh, How I Love Jesus. Here we go. There is a name I love to hear. I love to sing its word. It sounds like music in my ear. The sweetest name on earth. Sing it out now. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because he first loved me. Verse 2. It tells me of a Savior's love who died and set me free. He tells me of his precious love, the sinner's perfectly. Oh, oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because he first loved me. Verse 3. It tells me what my Father has in store for every day. Hey, and though I tread a darksome path, you'll sunshine all the way. Sing it out. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because he first loved me, it tells of one whose loving heart can fill my deepest woe. Who in each sorrow bears a part that none can bear beyond. Let me hear your voices. Sing, oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus, oh, how I love Jesus, because he first loved me. Amen. 
Uh, 4.11, is so sweet to trust in Jesus. He has made us to see that he is trustworthy. It is so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know the saith the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I proved him already, Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Verse 2, oh, how sweet to trust in Jesus, just to trust his cleansing blood. And in simple faith to pledge me Neat the healing, cleansing blood Oh, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him How I proved him more and more Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus Oh, for grace trust him more. If you haven't figured out, we're singing all of them. Verse 3. Yes, it's sweet to trust in Jesus. Just from sin and self to cease. Just from Jesus simply taking life and rest and joy and peace. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him, how I prove Him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, gracious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust Him. I'm so glad I learned to trust Precious Jesus, Savior, friend, and I know that Thou art with me, with me, with me to the end. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust You, how I prove You, Lord. Jesus. Precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust Him. God, we do thank you for the work of grace in our life that enables us to trust you, God. And we pray that you would help us tonight, even as we sing these songs, you would help us to have faith in you, God. Even as we look at Peter, a man filled with faith and a man filled with doubt. And yet, God, you never would let his faith fail. And Lord, help us to be encouraged by that tonight. Turn to number 405. Have faith in God. Let's sing together. Have faith in God when your pathway is lonely. He sees and knows 
such a powerful, powerful word for us tonight. He's on his throne. He cannot fail. He must prevail, and he will. We have hope in that tonight. Before we open the word, let's just sing that again, and let's remember that our hope lies not in ourselves, in the kingdoms of this world, but in Jesus and what he has already accomplished for us. Let's sing that out and sing it with faith as we are calling ourselves to do tonight. Have faith in God. He's on his throne, have faith in God, he watches o'er his home, he cannot fail, he must prevail, have faith in God, have faith in God. Can we just thank the Lord? 
gosh, for the, the amazing hope we have in him. Amen. You can be seated. I don't know if we have anybody that would be willing to share on this day of Pentecost how the Holy Spirit has been active in your life at any point in time or um, can testify to the Lord's work in your life through the Spirit. Does anybody have anything they would like to share uh, with the group uh, that, that has something on their heart and mind, would like to encourage the rest of us and how the Lord's been at work in your life? Uh, if you're still thinking, I'll, I'll, I'll fill in the, oh, we have one. Go ahead, Susan. <laughs> that's awesome. That's great. And that's, a, that's an encouragement uh, to know that... <laughs> Stop it, Larry. <laughs> it's okay. It's all right. <laughs> Happens to the best of us. Uh, Susan, thank you for sharing. Um, that, for me, that particular verse in, in Romans, when I am just sometimes brought to a place of despair and just not sure what to say to the Lord, and I just am thankful that the Spirit intercedes for me before the throne, and uh, thank you for sharing that. Anybody else can testify to how, how God has used the Spirit in your life to encourage you or those around you? That's cool how, how the Lord connects the, the dealings of our everyday life with uh, the body of Christ in that way. That's, that's really, really neat. Uh, for me, uh, I could share several things, but I don't, I don't know if you've ever found yourself where the enemy just keeps hounding you and reminding you about what you've done in your past or who you were. And uh, it's in those moments where I can kind of circle the drain a little bit and the Holy Spirit reminds me of a verse, First uh, John 1, 9. Confess your sins, and he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's, that's a work of the Spirit to remind us what the truth says about what we're experiencing or what we're feeling in a given moment. And so I'm just so thankful uh, for the, the, the work of the Spirit. And I, I know for some of us, it, the, we start talking about the Holy Spirit, and it feels a little bit 
foreign or maybe we're just not you know, completely sure exactly what we're talking about, but I would really encourage you to make that a matter of prayer for you, that you would ask the Lord to open your eyes to see how the Spirit is at work in your life. I can't tell you what more of an encouraging thing that is for you as a believer to, to know and to see how God is moving in your life through the Spirit to convict you of sin, to remind you of what truth is, to fix your eyes on Jesus and not yourself, and, and the many other ways the Spirit is at work. And so uh, such, a, such a blessing um, as a believer to be encouraged by that. Well, without further ado, uh, we're going to spend some time. Uh, this summer, we're, on Sunday nights, we're just looking at the disciples. Um, Jeff Hemphill last week in Owen's absence started uh, sharing through Peter, and there's just so much stuff about Peter we had to take two Sunday nights, and so tonight is part two. If you didn't get uh, the, 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 you weren't here last week, I'll, I'll try to review you and fill in a little bit of gap for you uh, about that, but we're just wanting to consider the disciples, who they were, what they did, and most importantly, how Jesus changed the direction of their life. Um, and so last week, as, as I said, Jeff did a good job of kind of sharing some insight about his life. Um, so we learned some of the basic things that, that many of us maybe are already familiar with. He was a fisherman. He was the brother of Andrew, um, another uh, disciple. Uh, we learned that he was married. Um, we know that Jesus, when he called Peter, his original name was Simon. And the meaning of his new name, Peter, as you may have heard before, is rock. And, and Jeff rightly stated that uh, Peter was anything but a rock, right? As we looked at his life and as we get a glimpse into the, the story of his life through the Gospels, um, Peter was a very inconsistent guy. He wasn't very reliable. He was, he was not a dependable guy. And so this new name that Jesus gives Peter really is a sense it signifies who Jesus was developing him to be, not exactly who he was in that given time. And, and so for all the criticism that Peter tends to get, and rightly so, uh, we also see many graces in his life that we really should take note of. For example, uh, Jeff mentioned one last week when Jesus called Peter out of the boat. We know he got out of the boat and he saw the wind and the waves and he started sinking. And so we, there's a lot of time we put a lot of emphasis on the fact that he was sinking in the water and we overlook the simple fact that he actually got out of the boat and walked on water. Um, and, and so thinking of the faith it would require to do such a thing, the grace that God gave him or Jesus gave him in that moment to do that. And so I think it's important for us as we look at the life of Peter and really all these disciples, um, we're very similar in a lot of ways with these guys. Um, in our own lives, we often see that we have tension between faith and doubt. There's kind of that, that tension exists um, in our lives. But this should be an encouragement to us because Peter, um, uh, excuse me, Jesus was, was committed to Peter's faith. And so though we see a guy who was flaky in the Gospels, uh, Jesus was committed to his faith. And that should be an encouragement to us when we kind of take a look at our own lives and take stock and see this tension between faith and doubt. And, and, and really an encouragement, even from an extension from this morning's sermon of what Jeff talked about in Hebrews 12, that God is committed to our faith. Um, and so let's look at Luke 22. We're going to look at this for a little bit before we look into some key moments of Peter's life tonight. Um, we're ultimately going to get to verse 31 through 34, but I want to kind of 
give some background as we head towards that direction. But in Luke 22, there in verses 14 through 21, Jesus just instituted the Lord's Supper. And so he's already helping the disciples' faith. He's already helping Peter's faith, uh, setting up holy rituals to help them remember uh, the good work of Jesus and what he was about to do for them. Um, but as it would, would come, guess what happens next? Just even during the supper, uh, in verses 24 through 30, there's this dispute that rises up among the disciples. So Jesus is instituting the Lord's Supper. Um, he's preparing them for what's about to happen. And immediately the disciples start arguing about who's going to be uh, the greatest. And so the, we still see a lot of room uh, needed uh, with these, these disciples. And it's at that point in the, in the text where Jesus turns his attention to Peter and, and Peter's faith. And let's look at verse 31 through 34. Uh, Jesus says this, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. And so, again, as we looked last week and even as we see here, Peter has shown great faith, but he has also shown great doubt throughout his time with Peter. He is, he is still a flaky guy. He is still Simon, yet to become Peter, the fulfillment of who Peter, the rock, is supposed to be. But Jesus, again, he's committed to Peter. He has plans for him. And so in this passage, we see that, that Jesus acknowledges something about the enemy. He wants Simon. The enemy does. He wants to have his way with him. He, he wants to prevent Simon from becoming Peter. And Satan not only wants to rattle Simon's faith, he wants to destroy it. Um, regardless of how small his faith is, he, he really wants the faith of Simon to be destroyed. And how does Jesus respond to this proposition from the enemy? It might surprise us that Jesus gives Satan the green light. And why would he do this? Doesn't Jesus want to protect Simon? Doesn't Jesus want Simon to become Peter? Absolutely. But what we're seeing here is that Jesus' love and protection in action is allowing Peter, is allowing his faith to be tested. And so obviously Satan has other intentions, but Jesus isn't caught off guard by what, what is happening here with Simon. He's not stressing out. He's, he's not fearful of losing Simon. Um, Jesus will certainly allow his faith to be tested, but he will not allow his faith to fail. Um, and as we think about this concept of Jesus giving Satan permission within limits, to, to rattle Peter in a way. We see similar accounts of this in other portions of Scripture. Um, for example, uh, in Genesis, we think about what, what God allowed in the life of Joseph, the son of Jacob. He was sold into slavery by his brothers, accused of making a sexual advance on Potiphar's wife. He's tossed in prison, back and forth, all these things, and ultimately is placed in a, in a, in a position of authority over Egypt to, to save Egypt, but also his family in this famine. And, and what did Joseph say to his brothers? He said in verse 20 of Genesis 50, he says, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring about that 
many people should be kept alive as they are today. We, we see another example uh, in the Old Testament, uh, Job. He lost everything and yet was fully restored to, to greater blessing. And so Simon is in a somewhat of a similar situation here. By letting Simon's faith be tested, he, Jesus isn't hurting Simon, he's helping him. What did Satan want to do to Simon? Do you remember what the text said there in uh, Luke 22? He said he wanted to sift him like wheat. Now, I, I learned a little bit reading this because I've never sifted wheat before. I wasn't exactly sure what that entailed, but uh, typically um, there was this process by which you separated the shaft uh, the shaft from, from the, the, the grain. And so basically what, what would happen is the wind would blow they would throw it up in the air and the unwanted shaft would blow away and then what was remaining was the coveted grain of wheat. And in a sense, that's what Jesus was going to allow to happen to Peter through the enemy. And and so in essence, Jesus was really letting the fabric of who uh, Simon was to blow away so that Peter, the rock, could emerge. And so Peter's response though to Jesus Jesus tells Peter, hey, you're going to deny me. And he's like, no, I'm gonna, I'll go to prison with you. I'll go to death. I mean, we're just, we're, again, we're seeing a little bit of Simon's character, a little bit arrogant, self-confident, and, and it's all a confirmation that what Jesus is going to allow to happen is what needs to happen. Peter's faith is going to be rattled. It's going to be tested for good. It's not to hurt Simon, it's, it's to help him. And so Peter's pride was desperately needing to die so that he could be the leader that Jesus needed him to be. Look at verse, if you're still in Luke 22, let's go down a little bit further to verse 59 and read through 62. This is really the culmination of the sifting of wheat, if you will. Starting in verse 59, this is, after the Lord's Supper, this is after Jesus is in custody, and this is when, when Peter uh, denies Jesus. It says in verse 59, And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. So this would be denial number three, verse 60. But Peter said, Man, I don't know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times, and he went out and wept bitterly. That was a hard moment for Peter. For the first time, the brash, the self-confident, the prideful disciple was broken, and he was undone. Peter had been blind, but now he could see. And what could he see? He saw who he really was. Weak and unreliable. Before it was, I'll go to prison with you, I'll go to death with you. And then Peter begins to see what Jesus saw in him. Weak, unreliable, denied him three times, just as Jesus had predicted. And so through this great testing... It was, it was a hard day, but it was a good day for Peter. Through this great testing, um, after Jesus is resurrected, he comes back and he restores Peter. And then in Acts 2, at Pentecost, he is filled with the Holy Spirit. Through all of this, Peter's pride is being slaughtered. 
It's the chaff that is blowing away so that he will mature and be the disciple that Jesus wants him to be. And so from this low point that we've just read about Peter, moving forward, Peter's boldness, his courage, and his confidence would no longer come from himself, but would only come from Jesus and what he has done for him. And so he's now being positioned to care for those who have felt the pain of sin and failure because he himself has dealt with his own pain of sin and failure. He's now at a place where he can comfort them and point them to look away from themselves and instead look to Jesus who loves them and gave up his life for them to forgive them and restore them. And so Jesus allows Peter to walk through all of this to mature him, to to grow him. And so all of that difficulty is bringing about something that that Jesus is allowing to happen in Peter's life so that he will be the man that God has instituted him to be for the church. And so that gives us a little bit of history about all that Peter walked through. And so now what I'd like us to do is let's just take a few brief moments here uh, the rest of our time to look at some key moments of Peter post-resurrection. So we looked at some things about Peter prior to that. Let's kind of go on the other side. And so there are many, many important moments in Peter's life after Jesus' resurrection and ascension uh, that we will check out tonight, but none are more important than what occurred in Acts chapter 2. While Jesus uh, was still uh, with his disciples uh, before his death, um, he shared with them what the disciples perceived to be tragic and sad news. He was leaving, and they could not understand why. Um, He was not fulfilling their expectations of what they wanted of Jesus, and and he tried to assure them that it's it's better that I go away. Um, I think we can relate a little bit with the disciples, because who among us would not love the opportunity to hang out with Jesus just like the disciples did, right? Like, that sounds appealing. That sounds like something we would want to do and to have that opportunity, but the reality is we have something better that the disciples had at the time prior to Jesus' resurrection and ascension. It's more advantageous to us that Jesus go away and then instead send the helper to us. Those are not my words, those are Jesus' words. As he says in John chapter 16, if you want to turn there, I want to look at John chapter 16. So we're going back to Jesus' time with the disciples before his crucifixion. And how Jesus correlates the story of what's going to happen to him, but why it's for their good that he goes away. Look at John chapter 16. We're going to look at verses 6 through 8, and then hop over to verses 12 through 15. Jesus says in verse 6 of John 16, But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Talking about him leaving. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Skip over to verse 12. He says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And so it is to our advantage um, that we have the Holy Spirit 
And so the key moment in Acts 2 is the initiation of what Jesus was saying to his disciples in John chapter 16, and what would propel Peter forward in ministry and what God had for him with the early church. And so that's a key moment for Peter is Pentecost itself. And then what happens immediately after Pentecost, even in the same chapter of Acts chapter 2, we see in verses 14 through 41, Peter preaches for the first time. His sermon is preached in a way that faithfully calls people to repent and trust in Jesus. Uh, does anybody know how many people were saved on the day of Pentecost, according to the scriptures? 3,000, yes. In verse 41, from that one sermon, 3,000 people believed and were baptized. And, and let's not forget that Peter, after his being humbled and being restored by Jesus, right? He himself would want us to remember that this was not about the glory of Peter. This wasn't about how amazing his sermon was. This was a work of the Holy Spirit, a miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. And so as we look through some of these key moments, let's take a quick time out each time to pause and to think about how this relates to us personally. Do you guys want to see a revival like this? Not a rhetorical question. Do you want to see a revival like this? Yeah. Do you want to see people who are living according to the ways of this world, who are ensnared by the ways of the devil, to wake up and see their need for Jesus? Do we want that? Amen, we do. It doesn't matter if it's 3,000 or it's three people. We want to see God work. Given that's our hope and our desire, I hope and I trust that you are not placing your hope in any one or particular people in order for that to take place. And when I say that, Owen and the staff, they are wonderful people, but they are not that wonderful. If we want to see God move and work, it's not gonna rise and fall on men and women who are in leadership. You hear me? That's gonna be because of the work of the Spirit. And so the question is, is are we as a church, is that something we're praying for? Is that something we're pursuing? Are we opening our mouth to proclaim and lift high the name of Jesus just as Peter did in his sermon? You may not have that in the same context, but we have that opportunity. And so if we truly long for that, let's pray for that. Let's ask God to move in our midst that people might come to know Jesus because that is our hope and that is our desire. Let's look at another moment of Peter in Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, specifically in verses 8 through 13. So this is is after Pentecost, after he's preached, the the church is growing. And Peter, along with John, they continue to speak to people about Jesus while also healing in his name. And let's just be honest, this stirs the pot with the the temple leaders. Uh, The same guys who had Jesus crucified are now zeroing in on Peter. And they thought... If, if we can just kill Jesus, then his followers will scatter. And let's, let's consider this interesting note. Had it not been for Pentecost, that would have happened. Had it not been for the work of the Holy Spirit in these guys and gals, the work of Jesus would have been done. But, but Jesus saw to it that though he leaves, he's sending a helper to continue the work that he started while he was here on earth. Because the Holy Spirit was at work in who? Common, unimpressive men, regular old fishermen. Look at verse 
uh, verses 8 through 13 in Acts chapter 4. And take note of what they say about the disciples. And, and this is before the, the temple leaders, okay? It says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. He doesn't take credit for the work. Verse 11, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And look at this in verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were what? Astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. So let's be certain that we remember that the disciples that Jesus hand-selected were not the best of the best, were not the cream of the crop. They were simple, uneducated, common people. And the only difference they had is that they had been with Jesus and the Spirit of Jesus lived inside of them through the power of the Holy Spirit. What an incredible encouragement to us today that there is no status, there is no uh, list of qualities that we need that are valued among this world. All we need is the presence of Jesus in our life through the work of the Holy Spirit. That is an encouragement. What makes us so special? Nothing according to the world. But if we have the Holy Spirit, we, we, we trust in Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit, and that is all that we need to live the life that he has called us to live and fulfill the mission he has called us to do. Let's look at another uh, a moment for Peter in Acts chapter 5. In verse 12, we learn that, that many signs and wonders were being done again, and in, in verse 18, once again, it's stirring the pot with these temple leaders, and so the leaders toss, toss them in prison, and, and what happens is, is they are freed by an angel of the Lord in the middle of the night. And, and what does Peter and the others do when they are freed from prison by this angel of the Lord? Run away for safety? Nope. At daybreak, they head right back to the temple, what landed them in prison in the first place. And so the temple leaders, one, are confused, like how do these dudes get out of jail? Two, they're infuriated because Peter and the disciples continued to, pe to preach and proclaim Jesus just as he had done before. And so these leaders, again, they start questioning them again. And look what Peter says, Acts chapter 5, verses 8 uh, through 30, no, I'm sorry, verse 29 through 30. It says, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree, God exalted him at the right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. And so Peter is reaffirming his allegiance to God over man. And so the leaders, they are ticked, they want him dead, but thanks to a level-headed uh, Pharisee who is esteemed, his name is Gamaliel, he's convinced uh, he convinces them to, like, let's instead, let's just beat them and then let him go. 
And Peter and the disciples' response to this beating that they give to them must have been perplexing to them. Look at verse 41 and 42 of that same chapter. It says, Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. And so because of the Holy Spirit, they are rejoicing to suffer for the sake of Jesus, but also are being steadfast in their obedience, regardless of what it might cost them. And so as as an application to think about and making this personal for us, I, I even think about my own life. Um, in my celebration of Jesus, what, what could cause my celebration in Christ to change to complaint? What would it take? What would it take to cause my celebration to be shifted to complaint? Or, or what, what would it take for us to slacken our obedience and allegiance to Jesus? What would it take to, to take how we could be obedient to Jesus and make us where we we sit back from what God has called us to. I'm afraid of what it would, what it would take, that, that it might not take much at all. And, and this, reading this story here of, of Peter and the disciples makes me yearn more for the work of the Spirit in my life because I'm fearful of my wandering heart and how little it would take to veer me off the path that God has for me. And so these stories encourage us and position us to be in a place where we are desperate for the Lord to work in us because we know apart from that, we would scatter and we would leave the God we love. Uh, uh, one more thing that we can see uh, about Peter's life is he still isn't perfect. And so in Galatians chapter two, in verse 11 through 14, we, we see this uh, laid forth for us. For all the wonderful things the Holy Spirit was doing in Peter's life, um, he still wasn't perfect. No matter uh, how much he was able to distance himself from the time when he denied Christ, uh, he still never outgrew his need uh, for Jesus. At, at a particular meal that is happening here, Peter has been eating and fellowshipping with the Gentiles who are, they are not circumcised. But these Jews show up to this meal whom they are circumcised and put a lot of value on that in regards to how they, they're standing with God. Their circumcision is important to them. And Peter, fearing the Jews and their position, they held about salvation, he distanced himself from the Gentiles. And so he's hanging out with the Gentiles. Hey, you guys are in Jesus. You guys are welcome too. The Jews show up, and he's like, oh, I better step away and distance myself from them because he feared what they might say about him. And Paul, we see here in Galatians 2, like, isn't going to put up with it. Like, he confronts Peter uh, in front of these people and, and challenges him on his position and what he has done. And, and Peter, by the grace of God, repents and re- is restored and uh, comes to an, an agreement about what he did. Um, but, but Peter is still showing some of his imperfection, that he still needs the work of the good news in his life. And, and I think that's a good reminder for us, even for those of us, maybe you've been following the Lord for multiple years. And I think sometimes within the church, it's easy to think that the good news is just for the hardened sinners out there, and we're doing just fine in here. But the reality is, is the good news is just as important for the person who has been following Jesus a week or 
35 years. The good news is just as important for us. Even Peter, after all the works of the Holy Spirit in his life, he needed the good news. You and I need to be reminded over and over again that God loves sinners, chief of sinners right here. We need to know that and we need to remember that. One more thing that we see, or a couple more things, and we'll, we'll start to wrap up. Um, we couldn't look at all of these moments and, and not talk about Peter's writings, the, the letters he wrote. And I think it's important for us just to take a few moments to look at some of the things the Holy Spirit inspired Peter to write. And, and really interesting enough to see how his writings connect to other things about his past and his experiences. For example, let's look at two of them. First uh, Peter chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 3. First Peter 1, it says this. Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Sometimes words fail to communicate passion, but Peter witnessed the resurrected Jesus. And, and, and so imagine him saying that with passion, knowing that his eyes has seen Jesus who was dead and now is alive. Verse four, um, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus." Did Peter know what it meant to be grieved by various trials? Absolutely. Did he learn how to rejoice in those things? Even when his faith was being tested, tested by fire, he says, absolutely. That he could rejoice in the midst of the trial because of what it would bring about in his life. And, and he's on the other side of some of those things where he has seen God fulfill his promises there that it has brought about the result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus. Another one, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 through 10. 1 Peter 5, verse 8 through 10. Peter says, be sober-minded and watchful. Why would he commend us to be that? He says, your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. What do you think of when you read that verse? Jesus saying, Satan has demanded you, Peter. Peter, these things are connected to the things that he experienced in his life. He goes on to say, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And so it's, it's really interesting to consider the life of a biblical author and then to also look at the writings of the biblical author. Holy Spirit inspired? Absolutely. But the Holy Spirit used the life of Peter, his past and his experiences, uh, to write the very things that he did. And so I find that so interesting how Peter is, is writing, inspired by the Holy Spirit, but encouraging us from some of the things he has walked through. And then finally, Peter's death. 
Um, uh, Jeff shared a little bit about that um, last week. But after Jesus' resurrection, we know Peter denies Christ, Jesus is raised from the dead, is meeting with Peter and the disciples again, and he restores Peter. He's reaffirming the ministry that he was calling to. But Jesus does not, uh, he doesn't withhold how Peter's ministry is going to end by death. In, in John chapter 21, look what Jesus says to, to Peter. In John chapter 21, verses 18 through 19, Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. So when Peter's hearing these words from Jesus, he obviously has no idea what he's going to walk through. He has no idea the experiences that we read through Acts, that we just read. He has no idea what, what the future holds, especially when he says, follow me. He doesn't exactly know what that's going to mean for him. I'm sure Peter still had questions. I'm sure he had fears. I'm sure he had doubts. But we know that Peter knew this. He knew that his Lord was dead, and now he's alive. Therefore, Peter says and believes, I'm sure of it, I can trust him and I can follow him. And so the question for us is, can we say the same thing? Can we trust Christ and can we follow him no matter what that will mean for us in our future? Let's pray together. God, we come to you tonight and we thank you for your word, and we thank you for letting us have access uh, to the people you worked with, those disciples, and how we can be encouraged by their life, even their failures and their sins. And so we just pray tonight, God, that, that you would work, work mightily in us. Lord, give us eyes to see the Holy Spirit, to be able to see how he's at work in us and around us, God, so that our faith might be encouraged. Lord, so that we might follow you wholeheartedly and leave the future in your hands and consider one and one thing only, Jesus, that you are king and that you gave up your life for us. So therefore, we can give our life to you. We can trust you and we can follow you. And it's your name we pray, amen. Let's close with a, a song, a hymn, an appropriate one, hymn number 337. I know whom I have believed. I know not why God's wondrous grace. Am I singing that right? <laughs> I know not why God's wondrous grace to me he hath made known. Nor why unworthy Christ in love redeem me for his own. I love this. But I know whom I have believed in and persuaded that he is able to keep that 
verse 2. I know not how this saving faith to me it God, we thank you, Lord, that through the work of your Spirit, we know whom we believe in, and we are persuaded, God, that you are able to do all things beyond our understanding, beyond our imagination. God, you are a great God who does great things, and we thank you that you are able to keep us, Lord, that you are committed to our faith, and Lord, how you have demonstrated that over and over again through others that we know and see, but also from those we see in Scripture. And so, God, we are encouraged by that tonight, and we pray that you would help us to walk forward in confidence and boldness and courage that is not rooted in our ability, but, God, it is rooted, Jesus, in you and what you have done for us. And so we thank you for that word, and it's your name we pray. Amen. Thank you guys so much for being here. We're going to keep doing this all summer except holiday weekend. So come out and hang out with us. And uh, I think there's going to be some crews going out to eat afterwards. So go hang out and fellowship with one another. We'll see you later. Have a great week.